Hello everybody and welcome once again to Hospitality Mavericks podcast with me, Michael Tingser. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders and entrepreneurs in the hospitality industry to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out, the kind that both employees and customers love and support. In today's podcast, we'll be talking with Alistair Gordon, the UK Operations Director for Ole Ernstein. Ole Ernstein is a premium Danish bakery company of which Ali has been responsible for successful expanding into the UK market. Ali has over 20 years of experience in the hospitality industry, and we sat down to talk with him about his story, expanding Ole Steen into the UK market, and to hear his opinion of working across different sectors within hospitality. Hello Ali, uh, happy to have you here on the podcast with Hospitality Mavericks. Today we are in your lovely store at Victoria. I'm very happy to come see you here this morning. You've been up early to get in here, I know, so thank you very much for that. Good to see you here, and welcome to uh, Victoria. I really like, I'm a big, big fan of your, your concept, and uh, I often eat probably too much of your product, but I really love them. And every time I'm in London, I always grab a bread, I went on to the airport in Copenhagen, grab a bread, take it home to the family, and also give it to friends, and there's always amazing feedback on this. But before I start to talk too much about my you know, passion for your products and concept, uh, let's kick off with hear a bit more about you and your background. I've been in uh, restaurants and hospitality for uh, over 25 years, uh, working my way through to the restaurant kitchens, starting off as a, a kitchen porter when I was 14, just kind of working my way through the ranks really. Uh, so I travelled around the world uh, working in restaurants and, and, and earning, earning my keep. Most recently, I was uh, working for Jamie Oliver uh, for about five years as a director of his business, running his uh, 12, 13 restaurants in, in London. And then I met Ollie and Steen three years ago. Uh, fell in love with the product, fell in love with them. Uh, I, we have a very, very good uh, CEO as well, Jesper Fries, who uh, I get on very well with. So, And they gave me a lot of room to manoeuvre, uh, and they asked me to bring their business over to the UK and launch it in London. And that was, uh, gosh, that was nearly three years ago now. And we launched the first Olinstein on December the 19th, 2015. And uh, since then, a lot have happened. Uh, I guess, I think it's about nine stores you have opened now. And I think there's more to come, as I know. And uh, tell us a bit about that journey, scaling Danish concept. Is it like a, a new venture going into a new market? Nobody knew about, uh, it's called Laukehuset in Denmark, which is a very difficult word. You can explain why you changed the name in a second. Uh, into the, the the London market, probably one of the most competitive in the in the world. Yeah, yeah, yes. I mean, it's actually we've got eight. Uh, we scaled it out quite quickly. Um, we've we've got uh, eight, as I said, did that in the last uh, sixteen months. So yeah, I mean, it's 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 grown substantially from from me driving around in a van looking for sites and and trying to find a bakery site uh, to now over two hundred fifty employees. So that takes some takes some strain to do. Uh, I think we've done it done it relatively well um, and um, it's, it's been a fantastic journey really because we just didn't know what the impact would be with uh, Oli and Steen and Laupusa but it's been picked up since the day we opened at uh, St James's it's just been a, a thrill ride really because people have just fallen in love with the, with the brand and the people and what we're trying to create and I think what we've done differently from, from, from Denmark is we've sort of created so Denmark is a pure premium bakery uh, which they do brilliantly, and what we wanted to do was create a sort of coffee brand um, around uh, the Danish, but the bakery side, and also food as well, and create an all-day experience from from um, 
from some 7 o'clock in the morning right through to some, some of them 10, 10 o'clock at night. Um, as you know, the real estate in London is uh, very, very expensive, so you, you've got to sweat the assets slightly. But also, I think we just saw an opportunity. We just thought this is great. These are great spaces. Um, they're, they're very calm, so it's a great place to, to be. So when you went on that journey, um, um, what are the main lessons you have learned? Because like scaling a business from, I would say, zero, even though it's a very known brand in, in Denmark, and yes. probably also known in some Scandinavian countries, uh, what, what is the main lessons you've done with that? I think, I think what, what most operators in this sector are... are challenge with it is people really it's finding great people you can have a great idea that you want to deliver but you have to find great people to to deliver that and and finding the leadership team who who are around me was was pretty tricky um but we found a great team but i i have to say that the guys that um, work in the stores you have a we have a fantastic core team who are fantastic ambassadors for business but I think it's just constantly you always you're always looking for superstars to run your business, and you're only as good as the people that you have working in the businesses. You can have all the ideas you want in the world, but unless you've got people to, that embrace the ideas and deliver the ideas, it's very hard um, to scale out a business. So I think we, we that's the biggest, and it's the, I knew it was going to be tough, but I think we, we've we've realised it's really super tough at the moment because everybody is is doing the same thing and obviously Brexit around the corner people are a bit nervous um, a lot of people that work in our businesses are um, Eastern European they're not they're not nationals um, so I think they're a little bit nervous as well so that's probably the biggest learning curve I think everything else I kind of we, we kind of anticipated yes it's tough out running a business in London it's super super uh, competitive you've got to be on your game all the time you can't look down at your navel the whole time and think you're wonderful, wonderful, and look at your own problems. You've got to look at other people and what they're doing because sooner or later someone's going to catch you. Um, and that's something that I'm very conscious of um, all the time and getting myself out there just to look at other businesses so that we don't get caught. Um, and, yeah, just, to, just creating a culture that, that people want to work for, really, and, and feel they can be part of for, for a length of time rather than just three months, six months, a year. It's got to be a, you know, I'd love people to stay for five years for the whole, for the whole journey and beyond. So it's very interesting to say people is the harder things to get right. And I guess that there's that's two elements here. First thing is to attract or hire them. And then there's the second element, as you just talked about, how do you actually retain them and how do they actually yes. feel they're part of something special. If we just start with the first thing, what were your tactics when you're brand new in town? Nobody knew you. You, you didn't have a brand or a presence in London. How did you go about finding these people? What were your tactics? How did you do it? <laughs> That's a really good question. Uh, one word, Gumtree. Um, what, what we did, really, I mean, I, I, the strategy was, was in which I've always believed in and, and most of the businesses that I've worked with had the same thing. I think Jamie was, was a master of it. It's surround yourself with really just brilliant people. Uh, really friendly people that, that kind of can live the culture every day. You, you don't... You don't manufacture a culture, it becomes something. So that was the key thing, is to create a place that um, people want to come and work work at, but also bring people in that want to, people want to work with. Um, and we already had a fantastic business. So we, we, it's just a case, I mean, our, the first, our first interview days was the top of a burger place in uh, Charlotte Street, and we showed them some videos of Lauka so that we'd, we'd found... Um, we asked them to take a chance on us. We managed to build a team of about 40 people somehow. Uh, that was over a, sort of a month. And, and people in London, if they haven't got a job immediately, they tend to kind of go to the next place. 
and if you haven't got any bricks and mortar to show them, just a dream, it can, can be quite tough. I have to say, I think we did, the, the girls um, who were doing the recruitment did a fantastic job. We also brought some, um, some of the Danes over to help us launch as well. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting because I haven't thought about that for a long time since you brought it up. But it, yeah, it was really, really tough. But we got a hold of Gumtree and we just went through all those hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of applicants um, and created a culture that people want to work for. Yeah, so, so hard work and, and, yeah. and being very clear about selling, selling, yes. selling a, a purposeful dream in a way, but it's not a dream, but they could actually feel those. Yes, yes. So, so what do you do today to retain them? A really good question. We're, we're now uh, setting up a training academy, um, which, which my opening general manager, Camilla, is, is now running. And we've looked at what other businesses are doing. Um, we've, we've talked to our staff. We do staff forums and what do they want from us. We're working on a number of number of things. The pay is always one thing. I mean, you know, young people will, will step out the door for 50p, um, but they want a home. They want to have a family they can come to every day. They want a great environment. So we've got to work really, really hard on that. We are pretty. Uh, we've got a lot tougher on um, people sort of calling in sick and and not not coming in. And that, that hap- seems to happen a lot in the industry, so we've had to get tough on that because it just creates a bad apple environment where one person is creating a poor environment and the other great people sort of look around and, and think, why, why are they getting away with it? So that we, we, we're pretty robust about that sort of stuff. Um, pet perks, we're looking at all sorts of um, things. We're looking at uh, perk box. Uh, we also have a 50% off on our food. We try and have drinks with the staff as regularly as possible. We really help them with their rotors and you know, make sure they get off on their holidays um, and then create a learning environment where they feel that they're always moving forward. As a business, we're growing very quickly, so we, we offer a really good opportunity to grow um, career-wise. Um, and, and also, in, in a very sort of modern, probably a little bit tree-huggy way, I'm a real believer in, in, in uh, sort of mindfulness and really developing people and people kind of growing themselves. I wish I'd done more of that when I was in my 20s rather than, you know, running around and doing all the things I did. But uh, I think people are, the millennials are looking for something different. Um, and I, we, we work really hard on them thinking about their future and how they can better themselves and what they do first in the morning and all those sort of things as well. So we want to create a really great environment, not just as a business environment, but for a personal environment for people. We're not there yet. We're a long, long way, but that's the big dream is to do that. Oh, wow, that sounds amazing. It sounds like you're on, on the right journey because as I often say, it's about making work work and making the basic things work really well yes and even though yes. some of the things you're talking about are really basic it's not always something people get right yeah many people struggle many organizations don't get that right coming back to we talked about you know opening stores and scaling up the business is there any plans of you know going outside uh, London I would love you to come to Brighton because <laughs> then I didn't have to go to London to get my bread <laughs> We were actually going to Oxford um, opening in September. The, the challenge for us is that the, we, we've got a number of bakeries within, within our bakeries. Um, but we've also got a central production unit um, that we do all the breads and the cakes and, uh, in, all handmade. And it, we, we really only want to be an hour away from that particular uh, production unit. So it really is just travel. Also, I think that there is a lot of space still in London that we want to, we want to look at. Um, and we've got our work cut out for the next probably two or three years to, to, to fill those spaces and more. 
Um, we want to take it slowly. We don't want to just just grab everything that's going. We want to just cherry pick the right right places. And I think we've done a good job at that at, at, at the time being. But yeah, look, we'd love to come to Brighton. I think Brighton has all the right demographics for us. It, it, it's um, I go down there often. I've got friends down there. I love it. I think it's great. And I think I think the Brightonites, if there is such a thing, would embrace it. So yeah, for first we're gonna we're gonna dip our toes into Oxford and see how that that works following John Lewis of course yeah. uh, and then we'll see how it go so uh, when you've been just coming back on the scaling bit I think it's quite interesting because it's gone very fast yes is there something around speed and scale you need to be aware of when you do that can it go too fast yes I think it probably can and we we, 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 we certainly listen we certainly took ourselves to, to the to the to the to the um, to the edge in terms of scaling up very 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 quickly Um We've, I think we're doing a really good job at sort of pulling that back. We recognise that because we weren't all the things that we live for, really, which is about growing a really great team and an engaged team and one that customers can see every single day. We were, we were missing a little bit of that, if I'm honest. Uh, but we've learned from that, and, and now we've got the team in place. Um, I've just hired a new op- operations manager. Uh, you know, you asked one of the previous questions, what would I have done? I probably would have hired Natasha probably a year ago and then brought her along on the journey because already she's had such a huge impact on the business, just just being in the businesses all the time. And I think that's the biggest thing that um, I was I was concerned with and I, I will always be concerned with is that we don't have an office so that we can always be in the business, businesses, but I wasn't in the businesses enough, not all of them, uh, every week. Uh, and And... You can think that everything is okay, and you know you see their their nightly sort of reports and stuff. But when you go in, you can see all the details that are missing, yeah. and that's the biggest thing for me is that we have to be in our businesses all the time and just yeah. supporting the teams. So when you when you have been scaling and going into the London market, is there anything around your strategy you had to do differently from Denmark? When you talked a lot about taking a culture over. Uh, and I guess that's uh, that's a very Danish culture. And how do you take that into to an English market? Uh, being a Dane myself and, and moved to the UK, there's, there's definitely differences between the cultures as as well as the similarities. Um, gosh, yes. I mean, we've had to really mix it up with the with the cultures a little bit. Um, we also have a um, kitchen within the business as well, so we've had to uh, find not chefs but people that are willing to work in kitchens and that's very very different to Lavabusa so that's another element that we've added another layer that we've added to, to the team um, the coffee business as well is, is we've really really worked hard at that it's 25% of our business now so we've had to work very hard to get that absolutely nailed because the coffee market is so much more sophisticated than it is in Denmark Denmark is definitely coming up but, but, but the, the, the London market you know it's it, I think it's the second most traded product is coffee beans in the world so you know that tells its own story I think I think Laukusa is very very well established it, it's people really want to work for that business um, and I think that we still such a little baby and people kind of don't recognise us we've got to compete against Pret uh, Itsu um, Leon all those sort of really great businesses So we have to make ourselves stand out. So that's yeah, that's the biggest challenge I think is that we're not very well known yet, and we've got to work harder at that on social media and just getting ourselves out and telling people about us. 
to stand out in the crowd you just mentioned all these great brands what is it that you need to do then to become a bit more loud stand out from the crowd and people can see that you are different and you are having an other unique offering then I think firstly products uh, just stick with the quality we've, we've purposely gone a bit more premium than, than most others we haven't we haven't gone um, lots on price we've, we've stuck with a really premium product I think the journey the way that we the journey is in, in uh, Laukus and in, in Olinstein is a little bit slower but a bit more considered so the staff spend more time with the customer social media we've been made a very very specific way of uh, appearing so a lot about people it's about products um, and it's about the, the coffee side you'll see see a number of ways that we sort of communicate with that as well um, we don't we don't go loads on marketing uh, we're out we're out sampling with the with the products as well constantly uh, I'm very lucky to lead a business that you can pick up and take to the streets very quickly we've done a number of pop-ups uh, that we, we're out just talking to people We've just done one over in Marlebone, which was a huge success for us. I think it's just constantly, constantly being really working at what your the basics, and also being out there telling people about yourself. We've got a big the social, which some people would have tasted, which we do a social drop every every other day to offices around around the streets, or we we go down the high street. So people, the shops will tell the customers where the places to eat and stuff as well. It's just word of mouth, word of mouth, word of mouth. As a Danish business, we're not a shouty business. We don't shout lots of messages all the time, but we just stick very clearly to social media product and taking the product to the street and getting people to taste it and then spreading the word about that. I can remember we had another conversation at some point where you said that you're also trying to bring this Danish thing hookah over <laughs> and trying to make that part of your your business. How do you bring hookah to life? And I think there's a lot of people that heard about the phenomenon hookah and the concept. I think it's a, it, it's a very good question. I think it answers some of the questions that you are, you asked uh, just a minute ago. Um, I think the environment is is what nobody can really sort of tell me what hugger is. I, I remember the first day that we opened, um, the Danish girls were starting to light the candles at seven thirty in the morning, and I, as a normal restaurant operator, said, "What, what are you doing?" He said, "It's hugger." So I kind of understood. Okay, right. So it's just creating a really sort of warm, comfortable environment that's not brash, it's not not too loud. Um, and that's really, people kind of want to meet, they want to share, so we have the social. Um, we provide sort of quite big tables so people can sort of sit around and meet their friends. So I think the, and, and from the staff as well, is that just that real friendliness, um, that familiarity, but without being over-familiar with the, with the um, customer. Um, Yeah, I think it's just really about creating an environment that people really feel comfortable in. And, and I see many people with their headphones on, reading a book, and, and that is to, shouts to me, wow, they really found a place they feel completely comfortable with a cake next to them and a, and a cup of coffee after work. And that's great because it means that we're, we're, we're doing all the things we set out to do, which is creating kind of a bit of an oasis away from the craziness that is London. I agree. That sounds like yeah. hygge in yeah. my world as well. I would perceive that as hygge. So, um, looking at the market, there's a lot going on, a lot in the media, a lot of, uh, so probably, uh, I wouldn't call it a negative story, but maybe more challenging time, the, the perfect storm, this is where you talked a bit about rising cost and property, salaries, etc. And there's other elements, like the challenge around workforce, you said it's been very hard to find a workforce. It's, it's, it's daunting to go into that and trying to, to scale your business, it's all this... Uh, 
big, big storm that's coming ahead. And there's a lot of the bigger operators we out there. You've seen Jamie's, you've seen Kalucho's being out saying there has to be massive change in their businesses. Yeah, look, I think, yes, of course, it's, it's a really, really interesting time for, for restaurants and casual, casual dining. Um, and I think that you can talk yourself into a hole a bit sometimes. Um, you can, I think there's been lots of articles recently, which I think were, were pretty pertinent. They said, you know, were these guys good enough to, to have expanded that big? And, and you can't take the customer for granted. They have so much choice now. So I think the key things are that every single Olinstein that we open has to be like the first Olinstein. It has to be as exciting, it has to be as well run, it has, the staff have to be as well trained, um, the products need to be as good as they ever were. We know we've got a good business, what we mustn't do is lose sight of the customer um, and you know, look for the right sites, don't be, don't be in a rush to grab everything that comes. It's very easy, I'm, I'm being offered lots of different things and lots of different markets, um, but we're still sticking to our, our strategy. We might do a few more, more bits and bobs, but, but I think that as long as you stay, and I, this is the, I, I look at the businesses that have lost their ways, they grew too quickly. They picked some sites that they probably wouldn't have picked in the first, first couple of years. Um, the, the level of service wasn't there. And suddenly the customer is saying, well, this isn't the brand that I bought into three years ago. And that's what we've got to be super careful of, is that, that we, we maintain that first day at St. James's where we were so excited about opening it. I still walk into every store and I can't believe that people are in there. I, it's, I'm, you know, it's just, this is, we're two years down the road since opening and it's just as exciting as it ever was, really. So I think that's the main thing. And we've got something really lovely that we really believe in and we've got lots of people that believe in it, and that's my job to keep making sure that they still embrace it and are ambassadors for it, and we don't lose sight of what we're trying to do. So what you're saying as well is having a bit of patience and having a bit of thought about what you're doing instead of just running and running and running for the sake of scale. Yes, essentially. Yeah, because I think that if you're just opening something every single week, there's no way that you can be really engaged with the customer and the local community. Starbucks did it brilliantly in the early days. They really got to know their community. And you can't just stick something in a, in a road or in a high street and just expect people to come and, and, and use you. You've got to go out and embrace the community and become part of the community. Uh, and, and in order to do that, you've got to hire some great people. So, and those people are hard to find, so we've got to keep developing those people and making sure that they understand what we're trying to achieve and not just throwing them in. I, I, you know, I've hired a few people recently, and I've asked about their previous experiences. Wow, it's just so great to get four weeks of training where I've just been given the keys and said, get on with it. And that's just a complete recipe for disaster. And, you know, it's something that we're absolutely fixed we mustn't do as a business because it's the drip drip effect and then they don't understand the business they don't understand what we're trying to do it's just another job for them and not not a vocation and, and running restaurants and working in restaurants is a lifestyle <laughs> it's, you know it's not the best paid industry in the world but if we if we wanted to do that we'd all go and be lawyers um it, but it's super exciting you've got to keep it super exciting and it's a lot of young people that are still unsure about what they want to do with their lives. So you've got to give them something to come to work for and enjoy and tell their friends about. So going away from the storm and talking about chatting about, th- going, now thinking a bit about another thing a lot of talk about, and we talked a bit about it. I know you love technology as well and you're in the year of your optimization. Mm-hmm. 
So, so how important do you see technology for Moreland's theme, but also how important do you see technology as a solution on some of these challenges in the industry? I think we talked the other day actually about um, the restaurant experience in terms of you know when you want to you, when you want to leave you want to leave, uh, and I think that's probably one of the biggest points of uh, annoyance from a customer's point of view. We don't have that obviously because we're not a restaurant, but I think technology has to be keep up with what we're trying to do. So um, we have we have the app which we've adapted, which we can really just scale out very quickly. Uh, which is really going to help us. We're sort of doing mobile technology, which isn't new, but it's something we can we can adapt to take it to the customer. We see in the evenings as an opportunity to go to the customer rather than them come to us, so create a bit more of a restaurant experience. Um, I think that cash is becoming. You know, most people don't carry cash. I don't, I don't carry cash, and uh, you know, it's it's becoming a bit of a dinosaur. So. You've got to have faster payment systems. You've got to have slicker payment systems. People just expect just to come in, get their goods, and leave. We're developing um, sort of a web shop so people can buy everything on the web shop. But also, also with the app, I'd love. I was talking to an American guy that he basically orders his Starbucks coffee as he's getting his suit jacket on, walks past the Starbucks, picks up his coffee, and off he goes. We need to be as slick as that. People, people are time poor, cash rich, especially in London. And we've got to make it as easy as possible for them to come in and use us. So, yeah, I, I see it in many, many different ways, um, both for the, for the managers as well, technology the managers can use to make their jobs quicker so they can actually be out on the floor looking after the customers, which is where they should be. So, yeah, I think for, for all of us it's, it's a huge, huge thing. But it mustn't get in the way with the personal experience that a customer gets. In a, in a, but a lot of people come for the personal experience. They come to talk to their favourite barista and their favourite person in the store. But within that, there must be an experience where we can get quicker for them as well. Technology is an essential part, or a part that's become part of business now, but it's not something that can substitute you know, the personal experience or the food or the quality. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, you've got to find a middle ground with that, I think. So, um, in the end of our interview, we always ask our people as on the podcast to give one advice and only one advice to somebody that wanted to either start a hospitality maybe go in and be a manager in hospitality what would your advice be for all your years of uh, doing the, the right and the wrong thing can I say three things Am yeah. I gonna, can I break the rules yeah. it's know your numbers surround yourself with brilliant people and remember who you are don't become confused about who you are so just drilling a bit of that. Know your numbers. What do you mean by that? Just just know, I mean, we, we, all, we all know that actually when you have a pound, when you take out all the, out, out the cost of that, the cost, you end up with about 10p, if you're good, uh, of profit, uh, unless, you, unless your sales are sort of building up and building up. So, so it's really important that staff understand that as well because they, they think that everybody is making loads of money in restaurants. If you explain that to them, it, it means that they can take more care. People is about uh, just surrounding yourself with great people. I've talked endlessly about great ambassadors, uh, whatever as well. We, we'll never succeed in this business if we don't have those sort of people. And sticking to your guns in terms of product. If you develop something that you know is good, don't suddenly just go off because somebody else mentioned that you should do a nitro coffee or a strawberry donut, which is not in, in our keeping. So stick to what you know, believe in it, and keep pushing it forward and, and making sure it's absolutely brilliant every single day. So know your numbers, 
get good people around you and stay true to yourself. Yes. Your brand. Good. Thank you very much, Ali, for, for your time and inviting us down here to the lovely shop in uh, Victoria. And I hope to, to see you soon again on, on the podcast. Really, really enjoyed it. Thanks very much. That's all we have time for today. Thank you, Ali, for sharing your story, your experience launching Ullenstein into the UK market and plans for the future. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please give us a like, share, or even better, tell us what you think. How do you think operators can thrive in a location as competitive as central London? Do you have any golden tips for successful scaling and expanding into new markets? A big thank you to Laura Evans from Let's Talk Video Production for her ongoing assistance making these podcasts possible. You are the best. We hope you enjoyed today's Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tingser. Tune in next time for another industry interview. And in the meantime, find out more about us at hospitalitymavericks.com. Thanks for listening and be Maverick.